Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Matthew chapter number five, we are continuing in our study on the Beatitudes. Amen. I have great confidence when I go to the Word. Hebrew Scripture said that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. And uh, if His Word was good enough to frame the worlds, man, I know it's going to help me tonight. Matthew 5, verse 7, our fifth part of the Beatitudes is this. The words He spoke to the disciples and multitudes. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Very simply tonight, my subject for the next few moments is merciful, merciful, merciful. Hallelujah. Let's bow our heads right now. Let's pray together. Jesus, I come to you tonight. God, I'm grateful again that we can, Lord, pull this word close unto our life. God, that this is not something so old and so tarnished with time that it has no application because it does. I find myself more and more, Lord Jesus, God, where I, Lord, am identified in your word. And I pray, Jesus, you would help us this evening. Help us, Lord, to glean from your word. Apply it to our life, Jesus. Let it point us in the proper direction, Jesus, that we need to head. God, we'll thank you and praise you for it. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen and amen. Everyone say amen. Shake somebody's hand before you're seated tonight. Then you may be seated in the lovely name of the Lord. Now, if we were to read this evening this beatitude in verse number seven as a stand-alone verse, we would assume that it is possible perhaps to be merciful all on our own but verse number seven is not a standalone verse it is a part of these beatitudes it's more importantly a part of a progression that we've been noticing over the past several weeks in the beatitudes that bring us now to this point of being able to be merciful Prior to now, we, if I may rehearse just for a, mil- a little bit, prior to now, we have went through the stage of becoming poor in spirit and realizing our need, mourning over our lack of perhaps realizing that need or even the sins that have been in our life, coming to a place of meekness where we have surrendered our control to a higher control and then coming to a place after doing so that we could hunger and thirst now after righteousness, which we learned last week, the Lord is our righteousness, hungering and thirsting after God, and we are being filled with that righteousness or with God. And it's only after we've made this journey from poor in spirit to hunger and thirsting after righteousness and being filled with that righteousness that we are positioned to where now we can be mercy full or if you could say it like this full of mercy it's only after having been filled with righteousness or that equating with God being filled with God with his presence with his spirit that you're capable now of being full of mercy and the reason being is because Ephesians 2 4 plainly tells us but God who is rich in mercy So that when we were filled with righteousness, which in essence is God, when we are filled with God, we were filled with a God who is rich in mercy. And so that has endowed us or enabled us then to be a merciful people, a people that are full of mercy. The rule of thumb is is very common. The rule of thumb is this. Those who show the most mercy to others are those who realize how much mercy God has shown to them. Because I know regardless of our history up to our point in time of coming to God and God meeting us, we all had different avenues that we come from. But I, I, I think I believe pretty well this evening, 
regardless what that path's origin may have been, he had to reach down. <laughs> he had to reach down. Whether it be me or you and whatever the, the origin of our journey, wherever that may be, he had to reach down to us. So with that in mind, understand, amen, how merciful that God has been to me. And so just with that, I understand that I should be able to share that same similar type of mercy with those that are around about me. There are some famous words from uh, a piece called The Merchant of Venice by William Shakespeare. It's very true concerning mercy. I think it hits the chord well. It says, mercy always comes down. It starts with God and moves to man. It begins in heaven and ends on earth. You don't bargain for mercy because to make a bargain, you've got to have something to offer. And we have nothing to offer God. We can't make a bargain with Him. There's not nothing within ourselves or within our means to bargain with. I don't have anything to offer God. Therefore, it illustrates and divines very well that we literally just fall on the mercy of God. And the scripture says, blessed or blessed are the merciful. Now, you've got to understand these words coming forth and you've got to understand uh, the history and the culture in which they are being spoken. Here he is speaking to the disciples, but the multitudes are on the fringe hearing these very same words. And to hear those words, blessed are the merciful, would be like being stabbed with a knife or the majority of the multitudes that were lying on the fringes there. Because the majority of the multitudes there, those who were religious or religious leaders in Jesus' day, for the most part, tended to be judgmental. The religious and religious leaders, for the most part, were judgmental people and were quite the opposite of being merciful. They were merciless. <laughs> they were without mercy. And so for the Lord to come and say, blessed are the merciful, this, this automatically started to just kind of contradict everything that they were. Contradict the way in which they acted and the way in which they held themselves. We're talking about people. Understand, remember for a moment, these are people who were infuriated whenever Jesus healed different ones on the Sabbath day. And even asked them, hey, if you didn't have, if, if your ox had fallen in the hoe, would you not pull it out? In other words, would you not have mercy? Regardless of the time of day or, or whether it be new moon or new Sabbath, wouldn't you have mercy? But these are the type of people we're dealing with here. They, they were infuriated that the Lord would have done different healings on the Sabbath day. They were eager, Scripture tells us, some of the great rulers and people that day, they were eager to stone the woman that was caught in the very act of adultery. They were there, they were going to stone her. And they asked the Lord, well, what, Moses in the law says we should stone her. But what, what, what do you think? They were going to be without mercy. Without mercy. She deserves death. There's a lesson though that we learn through life. If you don't know mercy whenever you're a, a teenager you'd probably be better acquainted with it whenever you're a senior. I like what Ken Gruley said. He said, the lesson of longevity concerning uh, the story of the lady who was caught in the very act of adultery. He said, those who stoned, who planned to stone the adulterous woman, they left from the eldest to the youngest. He said, because age teaches us to show mercy. Because the more that you live life, inevitably, the more mistakes you make, the more faux pas, uh -huh, the more things that you do wrong. So as an aged person, you may be quicker to render mercy because you look over the years of your life and you see the peaks and the valleys. And you see all the mercy that's extended to you. As a young pup, sometimes, you know, uh, we're so quick to, Mah! I'll tell you what I do, bless. <laughs> I 
The reason being is because, yeah, we've made some mistakes, but we've not near made the mistakes we're going to make before death comes upon our life. So the lesson of longevity is that age even teaches us sometimes to be a little merciful. As a matter of fact, you can find some men, ladies and men who in the prime of their life, some they would have just snapped the whip, wouldn't even batten an eye. But in their elderly age, have softened in their approach somewhat. Why? Because of the mercy that they have received in their life. I've all times said, and I share yet again, whenever we talk about, you know, judgment and justice, those things are excellent ideas. And they sound very, very, very much like good ideas and that they should be enforced without any consideration except whenever it is you who are the one being judged. And about ready to be served justice. <laughs> Oswald Chambers said, he said, There is always one fact more in every life of which we know nothing. Therefore, Jesus says, judge not. In other words, he's saying, there's always something that you see and you observe with your eye. And some people, they have the attitude that they are so much in the know, no one knows any more than they do. Oh yeah, there are people in society, if you would say, hey, if they told you something, say, I already knew that, their next retort is this, but did you know this? Because they take great pride in knowing more about a person, their situation. If I may be so bold, because I meet with this as a pastor, it seems like over and just in two years, that if somebody knows more detail about somebody's life, per se, than I, man, they take great pride. Oh, but did you know? And you know, there's some things that they don't know, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna break confidence in telling either. But you might change your attitude, your perspective, your response, and your reproach against such an individual if you knew the other facts that are not going to be disclosed. Amen. So, so the real deal here tonight is this. If we're quick to cast judgment on other people in their mistakes, their hang-ups, then it's highly probable that they will do the same when you make your mistake. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. It didn't disclose that that was necessarily a mercy brought to them by God. I believe they are capable of being merciful because they have already received a mercy from God. I believe part of the mercy that they obtain in return is the mercy that they cast out to others in their moment of need. And so when I find my foot stuck in a hole, that one that I helped out rather than point to... They're coming along the way and helping me out of my hoe and my situation. So we got we to handle people's mistakes, people's wrongs, very gently. Amen. The longer, I, I, I'm, I, I'm just sharing from my heart somewhat this evening, but the longer I serve in this capacity in office, Brother Mason, I understand how judgment and mercy can coexist. The only way that judgment and mercy can coexist is if you become more like Jesus Christ. Follow me. Galatians 3.13 speaks that Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. When you talk about judgment and you talk about mercy, those are usually conflicting terms. You don't necessarily speak those in the same breath, judgment and mercy. But they can coexist, and they did, in the man, Christ Jesus. Usually, judgment will either be servant to mercy 
or mercy will be servant to judgment. One will either take the upper hand over the other in a situation. Yet Jesus in his earthly life exemplified both judgment and mercy. And how he did this was this. Because humanity was served a sentence. Humanity was worthy, if you will. They were even, it was owed to themselves to receive justice, death, because of being born into this nature of sin and the sin element in their life. And the only way that could be satisfied is something had to die. And whenever Jesus died on the cross and became their or our substitute, he extended mercy to you and I. But something was still judged. He was judged and yet mercy was still extended. And so by him being judged, the justice of God was satisfied. The justice of God was met. But as a result of that, he was able to extend mercy to you and I. So tonight I say the only way that judgment and mercy can coexist, listen very carefully, is for the one extending the mercy is to accept the judgment. In other words, somebody wrongs you. You want to hold them hostage because of what they did wrong unto you. The only way that judgment and mercy can be somehow taken care of is for you to go and say, hey, don't worry about it. It's okay. That's extended mercy. But when you do that, you're accepting the judgment. You're taking the load of the incongruence of the infraction upon your shoulders. That's how mercy and judgment can coexist. You give the mercy and you accept the judgment. Amen. I found sometimes that when there is an infraction in the church, everybody has an opinion about what should be done. Situations can arise. Voices start to splatter. Whispering starts to go. And sometimes my ear does hear those things. Not through a second voice. And whenever everybody has an opinion of what should be done, this one should be taken off the platform. That one should be talked to. This one shouldn't be able to do this anymore. Differing opinions. Even from church to church sometimes, if you'd have the exact same matter on what should be done in some matters. But the only way for judgment and mercy to coexist many times, even in a church setting, listen to me. It's not, it's not a popular place to be in, but sometimes I extend mercy and I accept the judgment. Then it's, bless God, that pastor don't know what he's doing, blah, 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 blah. Let's consider the fact you don't know again. So I extend mercy, so in doing so, I got to accept the judgment. And let me tell you, I don't like that place. I don't like it at all. You tell me the, you tell me the person that, that, that around here that likes just to be disliked. <laughs> Amen. So extend mercy, I take the judgment upon myself. Amen. Other people believe it's different. A course of action should have taken place. There's something I wanted to get to in the process of all this merciful type of talk this evening. If you'll turn with me to Leviticus chapter number 13. The Lord dealt with me. It's been several, it's been months ago, months ago in my just scripture reading of the morning. God touched my heart. And I believe I just shared something with me that I want to share with you that may clear up some, if you will, uh, confusion and some, uh, uh, if, you, if you will cause it, a little unclarity in, in your vision or understanding. I'm going to read eight verses, but I want to for the purpose of coming to an understanding. I, I felt like today this was a good beatitude to incorporate this in since we're talking about uh, blessed are the merciful, us as people being full of mercy. The Bible says in verse 1 of Leviticus, 13 and I may pause Tyler I don't know we'll just see how it goes all right but the scripture says and the Lord said unto Moses and Aaron saying when a man shall have in the skin of his flesh arising a scab or a bright spot and it be in the skin of his flesh like the plague of leprosy which leprosy was a, uh, a disease that was indicative of some underlying sin in the Old Testament okay then he shall be brought unto Aaron the priest 
or unto one of his sons, the priest. So this is Aaron or the sons. They're all operating in the function of a priest. And the priest shall look on the plague in the skin of the flesh. And when the hair in the plague is turned white and the plague in sight be deeper, so it's recessed here, deeper than the skin of his flesh, it is a plague of leprosy. And the priest shall look on him and pronounce him clean. So what's being given here, we're given some guidelines, all right, we're given some guidelines on how to determine if what this is in the flesh is leprosy or not. We're given guidelines to determine what, if this thing in the flesh is leprosy or if it's just a scab. All right? Verse 4. And if the bright spot be white in the skin and on his flesh, and in sight be not deeper, not recessed, if you will, than the skin, and the hair thereof be not turned white, then the priest shall shut up him that hath the plague Seven days. So he's saying if it's not, he says if it's questionable that it's, it, it, it might not be leprosy, it could just be a scab. He says, we're going to keep a watch on it. Come back seven days. And the priest shall look on him the seventh day, and behold, if the plague in his sight be at stay, and the plague spread not in the skin, then the priest shall shut him up seven days more. So he's saying it's still looking like it's not tended toward leprosy, but we really don't know which way this is going yet. So we're going to keep an eye on it. Come back seven days. Verse 6, And the priest shall look on him again the seventh day, and behold, if the plague be somewhat dark, and the plague spread not in the skin, the priest shall pronounce him clean. It is but a scab, and he shall wash his clothes and be clean. But if the scab, now look, spread much abroad in the skin after he hath been seen of the priest for his cleansing, he shall be seen of the priest again. If this thing that we thought was a scab turns around and evidence is then it's actually leprosy, he says he's going to be seen of the priest again. We're going to have another eye look at this. And if the priest see that behold the scab spreadeth in the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a leprosy. He said, go to Aaron, a priest, or the sons of Aaron, all priests. And he says, I'm giving you guidelines. If it be white. Now, there are different hues of white. I know there's white, but pure white, and then there's, you know, it could be a little cream. Brother Fred could probably talk to us and break down all these different things concerning white. But what I am saying is this. What perceivably looks like white to you may not look like white to him. And the priest said, if it be depressed or recessed in the skin, then we're going to call it leprosy. But if it's not recessed, he said, then we're going to call that just a scab. In other words, he's saying the guideline is, if it's depressed, it could be leprosy. But one priest looking at it compared to another priest looking at it, there could be some variance there that, man, is that thing lower or is it not lower than the skin? And one priest, by his observation using the same guidelines as the other priest, might say, that's depressed. Another priest using the same guidelines through his observation might say, that's not depressed. The same guidelines were used. For the person, the clothing, the house. But the guidelines were subject to the interpretation of the priest. So everybody tune in here for a moment. The, 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 the guidelines were subject to the interpretation of the priest. So here is one priest that may interpret a spot as recessed. Wherefore that person has leprosy. But another priest might say, hey, I don't think that's quite recessed. But look now. We're going to keep our eye on it. Come back in seven days. And we're going to look at this again. Ladies and gentlemen, what I'm getting at is this. There are things that arrive in your life and in the life of church. The outsiders looking at it sometime and people in the church sometime. I tell you right now, that's wrong. They're backsliding. Praise God. They're having all oh, their they're, they're hellfire and brimstone. And I'm looking at it. Listen now. 
I'm looking at it and I'm saying, this has never happened before in their life. This is the first occurrence I've ever noticed this in their life. I think I'll extend mercy and see if they can't get this thing turned around. Come back in seven days. There's people in this church that have experienced in my, in my estimation mercy because we did not go to the chopping block the first time there was an infraction. The first time there was a hang up or a mess up. Why? Because we're trying to give mercy. I, I, I think there's a big difference in having a mess up in your life and the, allowing your mess up to become your lifestyle. Amen. Somebody in a moment of dispute, listen, if I can get so frank this evening because I think it's the only way I can draw any picture. Somebody in a moment of dispute might have just in a moment they allowed a curse word out of their mouth. If we had a bunch of church folk around there or even maybe just one person heard word about it. Man, we need to rake them over the coals, take them to the stake. I'll get the cat of nine tails. Has this ever happened before? Has this been a continuous process in their life that this isn't just a one-time weakness but it's become a lifestyle? That changes my whole mindset about my reaction of what I'm going to do. What am I going to do? I'm going to sit on the watchman as the watchman on the wall and I'm going to say seven days or a month or quarterly, whatever. I'm going to keep my eye on this. I'm going to keep my ear on this. If this is a reoccurring factor, if it's getting deeper and deeper in the skin, yeah, we might need to call that leprosy and do something about it. But I'm here to tell you tonight in this church, I want, if it ever comes to the place, you're taken off the platform, removed from its position, I want you to look over your shoulder and see all the mercy that was extended to you before you ever got to that place. Same guidelines were provided to both. But their observation of the person's condition may vary from priest to priest or person to person. You, let me answer a question for you. How do things sometimes differ from church to church? This is your answer tonight. Because we all have the same Bible. We have the same guideline. But the observation is gauged by pastor by pastor. And what seems recessed to one may not look recessed to another but it doesn't mean the man of God takes his eye off of it he monitors that with carefulness no because if one of Aaron's sons said he was clean that's the priest that's seen him he's clean amen that takes a big responsibility off the congregation and off the person lay it on the pastor Seriously, because he's the only one that has to answer for himself and somebody else. He's the only person in Scripture that's got to answer for himself and those who he leads. So don't wring your hands and get all worried about, well, I don't know about that. Honey, you don't have to answer for what's going on in this sanctuary, what takes place on this platform. I do. So just leave it in those hands. So now the next word's going to be up. Like, well, it doesn't matter to me. He's got to answer to God for it anyway. <laughs> I'm not far off from being right. So if the place in the skin was possibly leprosy, that person was under the scrutiny of the priest every seven days. If that spot turned from being, if you will, an isolated wound, an isolated scab into a life-threatening disease, the priest would react differently. He said, I don't need to see you in seven days. That's leprosy. Do you hear what I'm saying? Whenever it changed from being just an isolated wound to a life-threatening disease, he reacted differently. He says, we got to do something because one's life-threatening and one will heal with time. 
One's going to get better and one's going to progressively get worse. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. In one sense, the beatitude reflects the law of reciprocals. A few scriptures here, Brother Tyler, Galatians 6 and 7. He says, be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. So mercy, reap mercy. Matthew 7, 2, for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. So mercy, reap mercy. Measure mercy, get mercy measured back to you again. Proverbs 11 and verse 17, the merciful man doeth good to his own soul. While you're extending it to somebody else, that arm's wrapping all the way around and patting yourself on the back because as you extend mercy, mercy's going to be extended to you, but the woe is this, the second phrase, but he that is cruel troubleth his own flesh. When you are the first to rise in judgment, you're probably going to be the last to receive mercy. Human nature reacts like this. If I'm backing out on my spot tonight and the trouts are sitting behind me and I T-bone their vehicle and he comes out there in just the most pleasant spirit and I'm feeling already horrible about it anyway and he says, Brother McGee, he said, man, don't worry about this old thing. It's okay, blah, blah, we can get this taken care of. Man, that's going to take a lot of the edge of the guilt and shame I'm feeling off my life. And he's extended a lot of mercy to me. Well, you know what? A week goes by and I happen to be parked behind him. He T-bones my vehicle. You know what? I'm going to have a whole lot easier job on my side that he extended mercy to me a week ago to be able to do now, reciprocate that to him now. Then if a week ago he came out, I tell you what, I want this thing fixed and blah, 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 pastor. And if I did the same thing, or if he did the same thing next week to me, it's going to be a little harder for me to say, well, brother Mike, yes, don't, don't worry about that. Why? Because when you extend mercy, you can obtain mercy. Whenever, whenever you, you extend it to people, whenever you have an infraction in your life, you're more readily to be able to receive it People are more able to give it to you when they see you are a merciful person yourself. Somebody that's such a hobnob and always hot-tempered and just always disgruntled and upset and always, man, like walking on eggshells around them, it's hard to be nice to people like that. But it's not hard to be nice to people who are nice. So it's not hard to show mercy to people who show mercy. Everybody getting the groove of what I'm talking about. I made mention of this before, but I thought including it for our subject tonight. There was only one other piece of furniture in the tabernacle that was made solely of gold. And that was the candlestick. The other one was the mercy seat. Amen. And according to its, its dimensions, its intrinsic worth, was the most valuable of all the seven holy vessels, the mercy seat. And the Bible says in Exodus 37 and verse 8, one cherub on the end of this side and another cherub on the end of that side. Out of the mercy seat made he the cherubims, the two ends thereof. If you continue reading, the cherubim's eyes were gazing at the mercy seat that they were made out of. The cherubims on the mercy seat were all of one piece. They weren't glued on there. They weren't nailed on there. They were beaten out of the gold of mercy. And so as they were there, they've all been made out of the same piece. If I can say like this, mercy was the parents of the cherubim. Mercy were the parents of the cherubims. And so if you didn't have the mercy seat, you didn't have the cherubs. They did not exist without Mercy. So their tension then is constantly captured by the mercy that they came from. 
And whenever we forget mercy, we forget what we've been born of. And we forget what we've been born from. And if you remove mercy, you must remove your ability to simply exist because they were fashioned and made for mercy. Amen. To not show mercy when we have received so much mercy. I'm not talking about from people, from God. Let that stand as the only test. To not show mercy when we've been extended and given so much mercy is very conflicting. It's like a sign that a man seen tacked on a tree near a convent. It said no trespassers, violators will be prosecuted, prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. Signed, Sisters of Mercy. We use, we use a term today called forgiving. We use it today as an adjective. We use it to describe someone or something that's flexible. It's forgiving. We, describe, we use it to describe someone that's lenient. They're forgiving. I believe it also describes to a certain degree being merciful. Because when you are merciful, you are forgiving. You're capable to forgive. Max Lucado tells a story of a man by the name of Daniel. Daniel was a weightlifter. He did this for an occupation. He was quite a, 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 uh, he was quite a, a, a big guy, and he was very strong. And uh, he had always a desire to uh, create his own gym and workout place and have own his own business. And so uh, he went to a bank to get a loan to start his own business, and the bank told him it required a co-signer in order for this to take place for Daniel. And so his brother went into this endeavor with him and was his co-signer in order to start this workout gym that he always wanted. And his brother went to the bank before Daniel got there, and he picked up the check before Daniel had a chance to get there. And when Daniel came later in the day, he said, hey, I'm here to get the check. He said, you are? He says, your brother already picked up a check. And he did it and picked it up and he retired the mortgage on his house with the check that was for the business. To say the least, Daniel is infuriated. He's an infuriated big muscle man. And he's mad. He goes straight to his brother's house and door knocks on the door and his brother comes to the door and Daniel is livid but his brother's holding his little girl in his arms and he knew that Daniel wouldn't do anything with his little girl in his arms he says I just tell you one thing he says I don't want to see you for the rest of my life and if I ever see you I'm going to choke you to death they left that little episode and it would have been two years that Daniel had seen his brother or his brother had seen Daniel and all the while, here's Daniel now working steadily in a gym that he does not own for the purpose of making a living and trying to pay back a debt. And so he's there trying to do all this in a two-year period of time. During the time Daniel's life had been exposed to some missionaries, long story short, he come to know God and the love of God. And his spiritual life, Sister Angie Craig, had changed. And all of a sudden, in the hustle and bustle of a busy street in a median, he seen his brother whom done all this to him. And Daniel starts walking towards this guy that he hadn't seen in two years that he's carrying all this load on his back. And as humanity would, he clenches his fist and his face becomes inflamed with anger. Amen. And as he got closer, he said his attitude changed because he saw the image of his father in his brother. And Daniel's exact words was this. He said, because they're both brothers now, he said, as I saw my father in the face, in his face, my brother's face, he said, my enemy once again became my brother. When I seen the image of my father in the face of my enemy, he became my brother again. In essence tonight, folks, perhaps we could get over a lot of things. Perhaps we could come through a lot of things and accept judgment on our own shoulders many times and extend mercy if somehow, whenever we look at people, the one that does us unjustly and wrongly, if we could see the image of our heavenly father in the face of our enemy, perhaps they would once again become our brother or our sister in Christ. The Hebrew word for mercy speaks of an emotional response to the needs of others. It meant to feel the pain of another person, to get inside their skin to experience what they were experiencing so deeply that 
They were compelled to do something about it. This is no better illustrated than a very common Bible story that we have learned of if you've been in church any time from childhood up of Luke 10, the good Samaritan story. Luke 10 ends with these words with verse 36. Luke 10 verse 36. The Bible states these words after the question comes and the story has been told. Jesus says, Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he, this is the lawyer that asked the question, Who is my neighbor? And he said, He that sheweth mercy on him. Then said Jesus to him, Go and do thou likewise. Mercy is more than recognizing a need. Mercy is more than feeling sorry or sympathizing with a need. Mercy compels you to do something about the need. In verse 31 of Luke 10, we don't have it up there, I don't think for your perusal, but in Luke 10 and verse 31, the Bible says, And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he saw this man that had fell among these, he passed by on the other side. The priest said, I see the need. That's recognition, but that's not full-fledged mercy. In verse 32, it says, And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. So he actually came and looked on him. He was moved to a certain degree by the need, sympathizing perhaps with the need. That's motivation, but that's not mercy. Mercy is what's capsulated in verses 33 and 34 where it says, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, he came where he was. He's seen the need. He's moved by the need. But he came to where he was and when he saw him, he had compassion on him and he went to him and look what he's doing now. He's binding up his wounds. He's pouring in oil and wine. He's setting him on his own beast. He brought him to an end to take care of him. He's seen the need. He was moved by the need. He sympathized with the need, but he also had mercy. He acted upon the need. He was compelled to do something about it. Mercy goes all the way, if we could say it like that. Mercy goes all the way. It's more than a recognition. It's more than sympathizing. It's standing at the batter's box and saying, hey, I'm going to do something about this. Oftentimes in scriptures, uh, some terminology that, that can get very blurred or overlapping, we talk about grace and we talk about mercy. They are very similar. Many times people use them for synonyms. But in reality, they differ enough to be their own word in and of themselves without substitution. There is a difference between grace and there is a difference between mercy. God's grace, or if you will, grace is God's solution to man's sin. But mercy is God's solution to man's misery. Someone hear me right now. At the pool of Bethesda in John 5, the Bible says that there were five porches that were around that. There were porches on all four sides and one that went right down the middle of it. It had five porches. And Scripture says in John 5, in these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, of halt, and of withered, whose waters, this pool of Bethesda, whose waters were troubled on occasion. And whenever they were, it brought relief to the one or the two whoever got down into the water this pool of Bethesda that ministered to the hurting and the wounded and the misery of the people was also known as the house of mercy grace covers the sin while mercy removes the pain that the sin has caused grace forgives and mercy restores Grace gives us what we don't deserve while mercy withholds what we do deserve. And by definition, listen to me now, by definition, the only people who receive mercy are those who don't deserve it. So if you deserve it, it's not mercy. Did you just catch what I said? 
By definition, the only people who receive mercy are those who don't deserve it. So if you think you deserve it, then it's not mercy. Grace offers pardon for the crying, while mercy offers relief from the punishment. Regarding salvation, grace says heaven. Mercy says no hell. For the Samaritan story, grace is the good Samaritan's action that brought restoration to the man. Grace lifts the beaten man upon his own donkey, carries him to the end for complete recovery, paying the complete price on the poor man's behalf. But mercy in the good Samaritan story is the good Samaritan stopping to help a Jewish man who has been beaten and stripped by the robbers. Mercy stops and stoops toward one who has nothing to offer the giver. Mm-mm-mm-mm. And may, na- may never show any favor to the giver. And it is then the words go and do likewise that Jesus finishes with. The commission of the Good Samaritan story. Go and do likewise. Mercy, if you will, is the boomerang that when it is released properly, it will faithfully return to you. Mercy begets mercy. I'm coming to a close. I know I'm going a little long, but see, it's already happening. <laughs> Getting you prepared for those weeks. It's like bunkering down and buying more food because there's a famine coming. <laughs> Gathering the years of plenty, folks. A young employee secretly misappropriated Brother Mason several hundred dollars of his business firm's money. When this action was discovered, the young man was told to report to the office of the senior partner of the firm. As he walked up the stairs toward the administrative office, the young employee was heavy-hearted. He knew without a doubt he would lose his position with the firm. He also feared the possibility of legal action taken against him. Seemingly his whole world had collapsed. Upon his arrival in the office of the senior executive, the young man was questioned about the whole affair. He was asked if the allegations were true, and he answered in the affirmative. Then the executive surprisingly asked this question. If I keep you in your present capacity, can I trust you in the future? The young worker brightened up and said, yes, sir, you surely can. I've learned my lesson. The executive responded, I'm not going to press charges, and you can continue in your present responsibility. The employer continued the conversation with his younger employee by saying, I think you ought to know, however, that you are the second man in this firm who succumbed to temptation and was shown leniency. He said, I was the first. What you have done, I did. The mercy you are receiving, I received. It is only the grace of God that can keep us We are merciful. We are full of mercy because we have experienced mercy. And when you've experienced mercy, that lends to a pleasant cycle of giving and receiving mercy. And Jesus said in his beatitude, blessed are the It's the story of the man who had people who owed him money. There were debtors. He forgave them. And then for that man who was forgiven or shown mercy to trot off to one who owed a much higher amount even than he, demanding it and having him by his throat. How can you consciously do that when you've been showing so much mercy yourself? Let me tell you, I'll just be honest. I was talking to Bishop the other day in my office. Just be honest. I want, I believe there is a fine line. You, you got to be wise in the concerns of people's life. You do. You can go to a, a discredit and disgrace on it just as well. There has to be balance, if I could use that word appropriately. But whenever I look in the eyes, a lot of times of 
of young men and young ladies in the church because from the ages of, of 12 to 18, men, that's a very volatile time of life. I would dare to say we, made a, we make a lot of our mistake in that time of our life. Is that not true? I, I mean, look, I would say that I make a lot of my, uh, yeah, I'm not saying I'm without mistake now, but I'm saying there's a lot of mistakes made. There's a lot of, there's a lot of things tried out. There, there's, a, there's a, you know, testing the waters. Trying to, this, trying to find your way. I pray all the time for my kids because I know that's going to be a, con- it's a contemplative time of life. It's where you decide whether what you've been taught is truly true or not. And so I know that I'm just speaking as pastor today that whenever I see there's infractions in the lives of young people during those periods of time in their life, you know what I'm saying to myself right now? I'm saying, what if that was Trevor setting before me? What if that was Mariah setting before me? Because it's so easy to lay down the hammer. Whenever there isn't no seemingly attachment there. But they're all attached to the one and same Savior. And if I can get in touch with him, I'm saying, God, let me see through your eyes. Let me see through your eyes. Stand with me tonight. I hope all this has been cohesive and made somewhat of a sense. Blessed are the merciful. You can't get there until you hunger and thirst and are filled with him because he is the fountainhead of that mercy. And once you've experienced so much mercy from him, once you experience so much mercy from him and you continuously remember that. So I think if we ever fall away from that and we start chopping the block, it's because we forget the mercy we've been shown. We forget how low he had to go to pick us up. But the more that I stay acquainted with that, the more soft-hearted I am to be merciful. Yeah, if there's a lifestyle and it becomes a lifestyle, yeah, there has to be other actions taken. Do we like going down that road? No, we do not. In the meantime, we're just going to wait seven days and we're going to look at it again. We're going to wait seven days and we're going to look at it again and see if this thing's going to heal or if this thing's going to... Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.